0: Hello, this is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today, I'll be speaking to Daryl Sims. Daryl Sims is also known as the Alien Hunter. He has spoken on numerous TV shows, podcasts, and radio shows, as well as appearing at numerous conferences on the topic of UFOs, physical evidence of UFOs, and abductions. Daryl has a background in military law enforcement, is an army veteran, and was an operative with the CIA. He has worked with and counseled experiencers for over 38 years and specializes in the physical evidence. He also inspired and assisted the late Dr. Roger Lear with his implant work. Daryl is the author of Alien Hunter Evidence and Truth About Alien Implants, and alien hunter evidence and light thank you very much for coming today and welcome to Deb's Data dojo
1: i am delighted to be here as a matter of fact i i love the term dojo because i'm a martial artist as well
0: oh i did kung fu when i was oh, younger yeah, that's, uh,
1: fascinating
0: yes i'm a fourth
1: our- in, uh, and in shotokan uh, and goju
0: um do you believe um in chi
1: Uh, As a matter of fact, I do that. uh, (laughs) It's one of the uh, I I can't imagine people practicing the martial arts without practicing key. That just doesn't make any sense to Mm -hmm. me.
0: Yeah, I believe that um, my background with that has really highlighted that for me, um, because I feel like when we talk about the phenomenon, there's definitely a connection to that inner energy within us and what happens with the phenomenon so we can get into that a little bit later but i'm I'm just curious excited to hear that you're a martial artist i want to go add that to your intro now (laughs) (laughs) so that's cool but i was really inspired by bruce lee a long time ago so i wanted to do it and i did it i also watched kung fu with david carradine oh yeah (laughs) So what brought you into the topic of the phenomenon? I know that that's going way back. And and I was just intrigued. Uh, I saw something that said you were an experiencer. And I was wondering if you felt like sharing. Well,
1: experiencer is a different term than I would use. Uh, Everyone's an experiencer in the sense of the word that if they've had these events, they've experienced something. to me, there are at least three different kinds of people. One is uh, abductees, that is, people who have been taken against their will and, and in effect, kidnapped. And uh, like myself, and uh, then there are those who are uh, taken and feel like that it's a, a wonderful thing. Probably, whoever did it, they knew what they were doing, and they're here to save the planet, fix sales on hold, and all that. And then there's a third group of people that really don't know they've been taken, and but they have the earmarks of it, so to speak, physical evidence and so on. My event started when I was uh, four years old. I, uh, uh, for some bizarre reason, uh, realized something's wrong, in the room woke up. And, uh, and I, woke up's not the right word. Uh, switched on is the right word because I didn't wake up from a dream. I, I literally set up because something was wrong in the room. And there was this entity walking toward the wall, away from me. I was four years old. He was about not much bigger than me, and he was very uh, skinny, spindly. Uh, Back in 1952, nobody knew what an alien was. That was that just didn't it didn't compute. Period. So I thought to myself, "What does he do? He's going to bump into the wall." And as soon as I said that in my head thinking, in other words, Uh, he apparently overheard that and turned around, and to my shock and amazement, uh, he spoke and said um, uh, something in my head, which was, again, amazing. I I don't hear voices in my head except my own voice when I talk, and here I'm hearing someone else's voice in my head, and he says, it's awake and I realized he's talking about me. So that's the first time I ever had a voice to skull conversation, so to speak. And, um, as he turned around, uh, I noticed something remarkably different about him. And the reason i focused so much on my description of him is that told me a lot about the alien and it, and what he did in reference to that. And then what I did back, uh, forever it gave me uh, an accidental ability to turn myself back on when they switch you off, so to speak. In other words, oh, I mean, they'll sometimes they try to... switch you off and you won't remember anything. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, so when he turned around, I saw it, he had a large bulbous head, a little tiny slit for a mouth, two little pinholes for a nose, so to speak. and. Uh, uh, literally, he had large black eyes that were perfectly round, not the Hollywood version mm-hmm. of the uh, the oblong eye- eyes, so to speak. And as, a, as little kids observe things far different than adults do. I mean, an adult might say, "Welcome to planet Earth," or whatever. You know, get scared, run away, or whatever. Uh, I wasn't afraid, paralyzed, or anything. I just was amazed, and I I was uh, very cold. It was winter time. And there was a little bit of light in the room, a little bit of ambient light. And I could see him pretty well. He was pure white in color, not gray. Uh, eyes were perfectly round, an inch and a half across about uh, uh, the size of a big silver dollar. And as my eyes went down, I noticed he didn't have any clothes on. This made no sense to me because it's freezing. I mean, I've got my quilt wrapped around me. I'm cold and freezing and even in the house. Then all of a sudden, uh, as I look down I us, he doesn't have a belly button and he doesn't have a t-t. I mean, that's what kids notice. If you don't have clothes on, they notice things like that right off. So uh, this uh, made no sense to me because why is he different than us, so to speak? And why is he, what's he doing in our house? I didn't realize he just brought me back through the wall and put me in bed so I would not remember. But now I do remember and he realizes there's a mistake and that's what he meant. It's awake and now he's going to try to get me to not remember the event. This is 1952. So uh, long story short is um, he did something with his eyes. I don't know what it was, some kind of movement and Mm -hmm. I became instantly paralyzed mm-hmm. that was uh, uh, and again it wasn't until years later I began to put things together what does all this stuff mean that I, I have no idea i'm just I'm just a victim of the experience and uh, immediately I became paralyzed and i uh, he was started to move toward me and i I fell back on the bed and pushed real hard against the little bed little cot- like bed I had and pushed it apart and i I, my rear end is still on the bed and that my head fell and bounced off the floor. And, uh, and it was a kid's worst nightmare. He lifted up the covers to get to me, uh, from under the bed. And here comes this large bulbous head with these large black eyes. And he put them right next to my face and he tried to change his image my my representation of him from an alien to a clown. And that's where I got a clown phobia, and I kept shaking my head, no, 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 because I wanted to remember him for what he was, not for what he wanted me to think he was.
0: Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talk about screen memories, and a lot of them say they get an image of um, animals, like an owl.
1: The the big key to that to the screen images is a screen image is is literally it's false memory syndrome it is the alien installing a false memory for you to uh, re- to, to represent them in a way that uh, makes no sense and therefore makes you doubt your own experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not a three or four foot owls walking around with large black eyes, not a lot of uh, clowns walking around in the middle of people's houses in the middle of the night with large black eyes. So mm-hmm. this is a way for them to change your consciousness And to get you to believe that it was just a dream or a nightmare or you hallucinated the whole thing.
0: Yeah, um, I'm disappointed that they would mess with clowns. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people who have clown phobias for a lot of different reasons. But, you know, as a a young person not knowing what's going on in their room to have what would essentially end up being a giant clown to you at that point even if it's four foot tall you know at that that age would be really scary so I don't know I I think it's unfortunate that they feel they need to manipulate us that way Um, and that seems to be an underlying theme I hear about a lot like a level of manipulation and you spoke about how some experiencers have like a positive encounter and seem to think that the I don't know at the other the non-human intelligence um, wants to tell them to protect the planet and things like that and I'm the more I research the less I doubt sincerity in that. What do you think about that?
1: Uh, I think it's manipulation uh, 101 uh, it's it's clear to me that uh, based on not only my experience but I was able to um figure out very quickly even at four years old that there's something wrong with this picture so uh, to me i i just uh it was clear that i was being manipulated even at four and uh, the, the good news was that i was able to switch myself back on when he switched me off to that you won't remember well i switched myself back on and i could still hear him thinking that was uh, an accidental skill that i learned and it helped me for the next uh, 13 years in my uh, 10 or so other abduction events that happened and uh, that allowed me to uh, to literally hear what they're thinking when they've got you switched off so to
0: well i'd love to know if you could share some of those thoughts because I definitely wonder what the motivation is. People speculate. They think it's like a hybrid program. Some people think they're repopulating another planet. I'm strictly in the viewpoint that it's part of scientific experimentation because we would do exactly the same thing. And I know that's thinking from a human perspective, but that's what I, I think is going on. And, and also experiencers have said that, that they see these um, non-human intelligence and they're basically explorers or scientists. So what did you hear?
1: Well, I hear all kinds of things, but and I've, I've got 2000 cases worldwide and I've spoken to tens of thousands of people over the last 50 years. But uh, as a coming from a policing background and an intelligence background, I it all that's just information to me. The question really boils down to what is it that uh that I can actually ascertain what is uh, what's actionable in that intelligence. And uh, for me, uh, the, the big the big story, so to speak, is not that, but what, what it, why, why do they feel like it's important for us to be manipulated? Why do uh, why the lies basically? Uh, I mean, if I walk upon a situation, as a police officer, and I have, and a, you see, uh, so you see eight people standing around a body with a knife sticking out of its back. As a police officer, my first question is, okay, who did this? And if I get eight different stories from eight different people who are standing there around the body, guess how many people get to go downtown? Everybody. Right. Because at least seven of you are lying. So the question is, and you've carried that metaphor over to the alien. Every country I go to, it's, it's the same story, but it's a different flavor. Uh, mm-hmm. if I, when I go to Ireland, you've got to watch the wee folk or they, they may not bring you back. And the, you go over to, uh, to Istanbul, Turkey and talk to the Islamic people. And they said, oh, you got to watch out for the jinn of Islam. Or they may not bring you back to little people. And it goes on. Anywhere you go around the world, it's the same story. It's a different flavor. What you're getting is eight different stories about the knife in the back of the person that's lying there. So why do I not believe the alien? Because I'm getting seven, at least seven different stories that are not consistent.
0: And you know, it's really interesting, Daryl, that I found out recently, even in our our own lineage um, as hominins, um, or if if people want to be particular hominids, there were beings that were three point five feet tall. They found the remains of them. Um, so you know it, it makes you wonder. You know what is going on? Like, are they really alien, or are they just other beings on the planet? like they that have been around a really long time that are essentially messing with us from the fringe
1: well the uh the bottom line to me uh comes from my experience at age 4 the real reason that was profound for me was because uh as I became an investigator later in life i looked back on the event with a very critical eye and i realized there's something wrong with this picture First of all, uh, why didn't he have genitalia? Well, if you don't have genitalia and you don't have a, a navel or a belly button, so to speak, you, weren't, uh, you, you don't procreate. And number two, you weren't born. You were hatched, cloned, made, or manufactured. So the real question to me, uh, I begin to look into the ph- phenomena, I realize there's seven of these primary so-called aliens out there that show up in the literature, the reptile, the Nordic human type being, the gray, the taller gray, and a reptile, and, like I said, and a praying manis. So having looked at all these, again, as an investigator, not as a quote-unquote experiencer or an abductee or a contactee, just simply from an investigative point of view, I realize uh, the, the hoodwink story goes much further. And when you look at them very carefully, from a biological point of view, uh, I realized the DNA of each of these so-called seven different aliens, which some people say, those are the seven races of aliens visiting planet Earth. The only problem is the DNA of each one of them comes from planet
0: Earth. I've heard that too. I don't know which documentary I saw, but someone said that there was evidence that the bodies that were retrieved at Roswell had human DNA.
1: Well, the, uh, I volunteered to contribute some uh, biological evidence to the Bigfoot project. Uh, the DNA project was uh, performed by uh, Dr. Melba Ketchum up in Nacogdoches, Texas, not far from here. And what she found was that the the Bigfoot is a is literally a uh, a simian, an ape-like creature. No, no big guess there. But the other problem was that the mitochondrial DNA, the female DNA, a Bigfoot was modern human woman. So the question is, how do you get a modern human woman's DNA mixed up with a simian, which is supposed to be an alien from another planet or outer space or wherever it's from? How does that happen uh well it's called transgenics it's when somebody makes hatches clones or manufactures that being for a specific purpose and when i looked at the other alien uh characteristics and i and i began to study this very carefully i realized wait a minute uh, 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 okay if you look at the brain mantis being the seven foot Being, I I, I saw him when I was in the third grade, and a horrific event. But the point is that where do you get DNA for a praying mantis? Probably not from Zeta Reticuli, probably not from Pluto, but we have several hundred species of praying mantises right here on Earth. Earth is the genetic uh, Walmart. For c- conducting this sort of thing, if you wanted to do it. And I looked at the uh, the reptile, same thing. Where do you get reptile DNA? Here's the perfect place for it. We've got hundreds of species. And where do you get Nordic DNA? I'm going to take a wild guess. Probably Norway. That might be a good choice. And so on. I talked to a Native American buddy of mine. He's now deceased, uh, Cliff Mahudi, And I said, uh, talk to me about. Uh, the gray alien, where do you, where do they come from? He said, oh, those are the star people. I said, don't talk to me like I'm, like I'm white. But you answered the question. He said, oh, he said, so those are, those are the, or, those are the, uh, the uh, ant people. He said, they live inside the earth. I said, thank you. So yeah. here we have uh, the, the, they're all connected to earth, so to speak. They were, the DNA was taken from here, in my opinion, uh, based on the evidence we have and taken out somewhere out there and remanufactured sent back here as aliens to uh, make us believe they came from planet, uh, from some Zeta reticuli or some other planet. But to me, the question is, it's not about belief. It's about what, what does the evidence show? And the evidence that we have so far uh, is consistent with Dr. Melba Ketchum and others who've uh, done done some of the DNA work on some of these things mm-hmm. that the DNA seems to be coming from here. And the question is, why would somebody do that? Why would what's the what's the purpose? With, that would, to me, match the screen memories. Why you get you get told different types of screen memories and different types of uh, whoppers, so to speak, about where they're from or whatever and uh, it just it just it it just generates a really fascinating area of uh, research for me
0: yeah because you know when I hear about the hybrid concept I keep thinking the only reason people might think that is if they suspect there's a DNA connection to these non-human intelligence visitors etc um, and it may not be that they're creating hybrids it's more like we're created from something everyone has been created and everything has been created from so that's my thought I think it might be incorrect to say it's a hybrid program per se it could just be a whole genetic program
1: Uh, you you could be right that ultimately you know we don't have enough information to be able to establish exactly what is going on but but from the uh, investigative point of view that, that I've done, and from the the work that we have done, I've done twenty-seven surgical interventions uh, already on the uh, alleged alien implants. And uh, you'd mentioned Dr. Lear. Roger Lear was a podiatrist, not a not a general surgeon. And uh, he, since he was a podiatrist, he could only operate on the ankle and below. So uh, the other cases that we had of implants were removed by actual MD and uh, we would be present of course during the, the operation and I would do the hypnotic anesthesia since I'm a hypnotic anesthesia therapist but uh, uh, in, in fact when I first met Roger uh, he did not believe in any of this stuff at all he thought this was insane and uh, he saw the first case that I presented of the uh, three objects in this lady's foot. And he said, well, it looks like an osteotomy from a previous surgery. And I said, that makes sense to me. That's what I suggested to her, but she's never had a previous surgery. So that, uh, he said, well, why don't you have it taken out? And I said, well, I'd need a podiatrist to do that. And that's when he said, well, I'll volunteer to do it if you can get them out here. And I did. And that began our association. Uh, and then, uh, later, uh, we had a, a parting of ways because he started uh, uh, keeping physical evidence wasn't his. And uh, that to me is anathema to your research. You can't take people's stuff and, as your own. So I finally just let him go. And uh, that, that ended that.
0: Yeah, it seems like that seems to be one of the bigger issues for people trying to get their implant researched or investigated. Things happen to that data that makes them feel like they've been, well, not to use a pun, but cut out of the situation. And I've seen, you know, people who wanted to be on TV shows, the same thing would happen. They would give their implant over and then they weren't even told what the results were. And if the TV show didn't happen, they were just left out there without the implant. They didn't have it anymore. I believe that um, one of the questions coming from Steph from UAP Experiencers had to do with how do people keep track of their implants to make sure things like that don't happen. Do you have any advice for that?
1: I do. Uh, if, if we handle the case, we're in charge and it uh, the buck stops here, so to speak. I, I during this surgery, I am there with the person from the beginning to the end and uh, when the object is physically removed, it's placed in a container and uh, uh, in a, a formulation and given to me personally signed sealed and uh, so it's 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 uh, it's 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 medically and scientifically uh C- correct in its in its procedure and uh then i take it directly to the lab and the, it's c- the work is done on it in the lab while i'm present so it never leaves my sight so to speak that's the best way to do it if some people uh, have made huge mistakes and done things like well i went to the va hospital and uh, got this object removed and they never gave it back to me said it's not mine and. Uh, and I said, that's unfortunate, but that's, you you made a huge mistake. Shouldn't have done that. But that the, happens.
0: When when you're done doing the analysis, do you return the implant to the person?
1: The, uh, we we explained the, the, the whole procedure of what we do to uh, implantees. Uh, first of all, implants are extremely rare. And uh, regardless of people saying, I've got an implant or I got five of them or 50 or whatever, 99% of the time they do not. They may have a foreign object, but that doesn't make it an implant. But if it is in fact a real implant, we do remove it. We tell them that, uh, that we want to do continued research on if they will allow that. And we have a number of people that, uh, that do allow that. Uh, and I'll tell you about a real instrument here in a minute. Um, and then uh, we retain it. And the reason for that is because ultimately I want to take my group of implants to a a mill to a literally a university setting. And ultimately, if we get the funding for it, I want to bring in the abductees who had these objects removed. I want to bring in new people who have objects still in them. And I want to watch the interaction with these people to begin with. Second, I want uh, the scientists in the other room to start using certain, um, uh, signaling so to speak and see if we can ping some of these objects to see if in fact they uh, any of them respond either out of the people or in these people and uh, yep. this would be extremely useful information
0: well and this might be a good time to talk about some of the aspects of implants because I've done some research on them um, it sounds like they definitely put out some sort of frequency that can be picked up by radio. Um, you have said that they fluorescent. Um, they tend to have a coating around them, uh, which is very hard and pretty much impervious to a scalpel. Um, they move. Um, they tend to seem like a cyst until they are examined. They have strange isotopic qualities to them some of them have been compared to meteorite rock um, in their makeup Um, is there more that that you want to add to what i've said
1: yes that's uh there's um there's quite a bit more actually the uh some of the objects that we've removed are ceramic like some of them are plastic like from uh, area 51 area we have four objects removed from a man's knee uh and and those particular objects were found lined up four in a row tic-tac sized in his tendon and they were not calcifications at all Uh, they appear to be a plastic-like material Uh, some of the objects are uh, metallic some of them are magnetic some are not Um, there are different types of objects. depends on where in the object where in the body you find them is a lot tells a lot about the object. Uh, They are literally found, even though they're quite rare, we found them from literally the the skull. Uh, In fact, in my book, uh, there's one the size of a lifesaver. In fact, it looks like a lifesaver in the lady's skull. Uh, Two years later on x-ray, it moves to the other hemisphere. And uh, it's rather amazing case out of Brazil. Some of these uh, objects uh, that we found, uh, four of them in the little girl's nose, uh, they turned out to be the size of uh, pinheads. And they're literally so small that you can just barely see them. And uh, they were studied by York University. They turned out to be 51% uh, silver and 49% gold. Now we want to do isotopic ratio tests on them to see if the two metals come from earth or somewhere else. So this is just a sampling of some of the objects we removed. Some of the objects we've removed from people appear to be a bone like material. So there's all kinds of stuff. And uh, to say that one is one thing or it's another, and some people say that uh, uh, they're transponders. Well, they're not. Or they're tracking devices. Well, they're not. Uh, Anybody that's studied this thing even halfway can realize that how they find you to begin with. It wasn't an accident. If you look in the family lineage of most of these people, uh, abductees, contactees, whatever you want to call them, uh, 45% of them would be Native American, Indian, Irish, Celtic. And, And that's just the beginning of the statistics alone. Uh, in one early case study we did, which was only about about a hundred people, uh, up to thirty-three percent of the people had a rare drug allergy to prokaine. In other words, if you go to your doctor and say, Novocaine doesn't work on me," he'll he'll laugh at you and call you a liar, or stupid, or whatever, because uh, and if you tell him you you get uh, uh, you have an allergic reaction to it. Uh, He'll really laugh at you then. Uh, One eye doctor told my uh, senior investigator uh, he was going to put a procaine on his eye. And he said, that's, I'm allergic to it. And he said, Dale, it's so rare that we never even check for it. And he put the procaine on Dale's eye and Dale fell over in coma. So again, these are very strange statistics and uh, they're equivalent to about three out of every 10 astronauts having a rare drug allergy, to it's just not going to happen. It's extremely rare.
0: I thought of another thing that I remember about implants that also what is noticeable is that often the body is not inflamed around the implant. And it seems to not be trying to reject the implant, which is abnormal because a foreign object in the body usually causes inflammation and a, Rejection process. So that's another thing that I remember hearing about. That
1: uh, that was that statistic uh, was first mentioned uh, nineteen ninety four. I did a presentation for two hundred fifty surgeons and doctors at John Muir Medical Hospital in Northern mm-hmm. uh, California, and uh, while there, I gave them. I said, "If these objects that you're looking at here on X-ray, because we had not done any surgeries at that time." I said, if these objects are real and they're really alien, there are going to be four things that are going to be consistent. One is they're going to be, uh, uh, they're not going to be of any known technology. There will be no technology in them at all. That's number one. Number two is that uh, that the objects uh, will be attached to its own nerve supply. And I went on and on. The last thing I said is these objects are really alien in origin, the body will protect it, hide it in some way, so that uh, the body will not detect this, and it will be a non-inflammatory response, and uh, in fact, when the first implants were removed, the pathologist looked at it and said, well, that dense gray material around it, that's just, uh, that's an inflammatory response That's you know, like a, a spatter effect from a grenade or a bullet or something. And I said, well, that sounds good. Uh, Go ahead and examine it and tell me what it is. He said, well, I'm sure it's, I said, "I'm, I'm sure you're right. Examine it and tell me what it is. He said, oh my gosh, that's not an inflammatory process at all. It's, well, that's keratin. Keratin is skin, hair, or fingernails. Where did you find this? I said, deep inside the body next to the bone. He said, that's impossible. I said, well, I've got 17 witnesses, two doctors, myself, the hypnotic anesthesia therapist, a photographer, and uh, a surgical nurse, and a lawyer. He said, I don't care if God is present. He said, that did not happen. Keratin cannot be inside the body. And, uh, of course, he, he didn't know what he was talking about. From a medical point of view, it makes sense. But from an alien point of view, it also makes sense because that little scoop mark they take like out of your uh, shin or out of your arm, whenever you see some of these abductees talk about a dermatological scoop mark missing after their abduction, they can't figure out what happened. That's keratin. That will later be cultured and wrapped around an implant, and that is what, happened in this particular woman's case. And so uh, the the body would not recognize the, uh, the skin sample because because the skin sample was your own. It was your own keratin from your own body. And Nobel laureate uh, heard about this and was so impressed. He said, Mr. Sims, you may have a Nobel laureate flying to eat right now. And that's what do you mean? He said, well, if that process can be replicated in a laboratory, he said, organ donor rejection may be passe. You realize how valuable that is? And I said, well, I was born in Texas and I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. I said, what laboratory do you suppose I could send that to and expect them to be honest about it? And he said, not one.
0: Well, I think it won't be long before there are 3D printing organs anyway. I think we're going to be stepping in that direction in the future, which is intriguing to me because a lot of the things that we talk about with these um, non-human intelligence are things that we're doing, that we're reaching to do, that we're capable of doing now. So if technically, if we were allowed to, we could definitely make Something that looks like a, a gray now, if we wanted to, in my opinion. Because people are very aware of how to manipulate genetics now.
1: Well, that is true. Uh they certainly are. And uh with the CRISPR and all, all kinds of interesting things out there, things are happening, I'm sure, in China with the uh Uyghur population right now. I'm sure they're the Chinese are practicing all kinds of interesting genetic experiments on those folks simply mm-hmm. because they can. There's nothing anybody can do about it. Mm-hmm. But as an example, um, uh, for instance, um, we, we have checked uh, a lot of information against not only the biology, but but the skills of these entities. And by that, I mean, um, the, uh, we have three pieces, three objects, thirty years apart each. So there's no there's no uh, collusion or collaboration at all. Three objects that were expelled by UFOs on three different occasions, and we've had the objects examined and uh, they definitely show to be extraterrestrial in the origin two of them do already. And uh, in fact, one of them was examined uh, by a congressional uh, group uh, recently one of my abductees called me and told me what was going on. He wasn't supposed to, but he did. And he said, they applied a uh, electric current to the, to my metal object. And I said, yes. And he said, it levitated. He said, they did not know what to do about that. I said, I'm sure they didn't. It's not what they expected.
0: Do you think that there's um, some truth to the thought that these objects might be the, uh, in and of themselves, a mixture of machine and living organism.
1: Well, I think that's true to some degree. Uh, I, I think uh, uh, I think that it's Im- important to, and I can give you an example. Well, I was I was spoken at Roswell twenty two years in a row, and uh, uh, the year before last, uh, one of the people there, uh, uh, Dr. Frank Kimbler. Uh, found some pe- rare small pieces of metal and he wanted a scientist to help him and I, I furnished him with a scientist and they determined that they very possibly were part of the Roswell craft. And one of my abductees was there that year and he and Frank pulled the objects out of their container and let him put them in his hand and uh, within a short period of time, the abductee got real freaked out and dropped dropped them on the table and got him out of his hand, he he was very upset. And uh, and I came over and I asked Frank, I said, do you understand what's going on? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if your material really is alien in origin, it's part of the craft, so to speak. I said, the abductee himself has, has been, he's been part of that craft by touching it and being involved and so on. I said, he actually knows He's interacting with the material and it's interacting with him and it's scaring him. I said, I said, let me, let me make this simple for the audience. If you get abducted and you go inside the craft, you're not going to find a big steering wheel. There's not going to be a four on the floor or a button that says light speed push here. It doesn't work like that. It works based on the entity it's attached to the entity. It literally is, uh, uh Interactive with the entity and that's that's one of the problems with uh, back engineering some of this stuff is that you have to back engineer that. How do you do that?
0: That and I think you have to have the focus and mental ability to steer so to speak. I think even if they can understand that connection that happens consciously with the craft. I don't know that everyone has the clarity to steer, so to speak.
1: No, I, I wouldn't think so, simply because you don't know the interaction, all the machinations of the craft itself. So that I don't, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that there was enough information given off of the objects, apparently, to the abductee that it alarmed him because it, it was, what's this metal doing communicating with me, so to speak? And uh, that bothered him to no end.
0: I I heard an interesting thing from uh, Dave Scott, who also does a podcast um, out of Canada. Um, And he said that some of these craft may be connecting to a non-human intelligence that has deceased. It was really interesting idea, right? That there's this still this consciousness connection to the occupant, but the occupant may not have a physical body anymore. What do you think of that?
1: Well, we're, as I mentioned before, I mentioned in the beginning um, in my leading uh, the seven. These seven entities are not; they're not aliens, in my opinion. They're made, hatched, clone, manufactured for the purpose. It's an intelligence operation. Is what it is. Uh, one of the things I learned—I mean, almost immediately when I got into the CIA—I was stunned at learning some of the skills of the trade craft. That was the same stuff that was going on board the craft. Mm-hmm. These guys are the cosmic spies in effect. And this was incredible. So, uh, I would, I would just, of course I didn't tell the CIA all the stuff. I'd just keep it to myself. and still doing my UFO investigations without, without alerting them to all of that. So, uh, these entities, in my opinion, are made, hatch, cloned, manufactured by someone, by something else, who in a, in, on occasion, and we've seen this in these events and rare events, where the alien is used as an avatar. In other words, another being will uh, speak through them and function through them to the abductee or the contactee.
0: I, I, there's so many things that make me wonder what's going on, but I feel like that's one of the patterns you hear about. You hear about someone thinking they're looking at one thing, the facade then fades away and it's something else and hidden behind that, and then you still have to wonder if even that's true. Um, you hear a lot about the brain just being messed with, um, not. You know, we, we know now, because they're doing experiments with this, that if you p- pulse electromagnetic frequencies to the brain, it impacts our ability to speak, our ability to move, uh, what we're seeing, memories, all kinds of things. So I, I wonder if they're not using a technology to do that. And frankly, they don't necessarily even need to be right in front of us. They could be pretty far away.
1: Well, some people uh, claim they've had uh, interference from an, a, a, a UFO or UAP from a distance. Uh, that, of course, is subjective. I don't know how you would prove that, but if their story is true as an example, that would be a good example of it, where uh, from a distance you were still affected by them or whatever. Uh, I know that when I was in uh, uh, in junior high in the uh, central uh junior high in alma new mexico right outside holloman air force base near white sands proving grounds uh i was uh just during that my period between uh four years old and 17 years old now i'm about uh, i think would be about 14 and uh was in school and i had this this the, the voice i told you about i heard when i was four That voice appeared in my head and it said, you need to leave school right now. And I wouldn't do that because I'm a real red, white, and blue good kid and wouldn't do anything wrong and all that. So uh, I, I, but I looked outside the window to see where the voice was coming from. I looked and I see beautiful white clouds and blue sky, but I didn't see you. If I didn't see anything, I couldn't figure out, well, where is that coming from? So I didn't do it. Although the, it was an overwhelming urge to leave right then. However, the next morning, I went out in the desert. That was Friday at school. Saturday morning, I grabbed my .22 rifle, put 17 rounds in it, and went out in the desert hunting as I usually did, just plinking around, shooting at targets and stuff. And as I got out there, and went way out in the desert. I knew exactly where to go, which is really weird. How do you know exactly where to go? four or five miles out in the middle of a desert how would you know where to go and then and all of a sudden I'm standing out there and i I can feel the Sun burning down on top of my head like you know because I've been standing there for quite a while and and I've I'm standing here with my rifle like held this in my hand and uh, and I it it, it it doesn't make any sense to me at first when I I, I use that skill where I turn myself back on when I know something's wrong and I open my eyes. And as I do, I'm standing there holding my rifle and there's this alien being walking away from me, this little gray, the same one that always picks me up and brings me back. And he's walking away from me in the desert. And it's the only time I've ever seen emotion on his face he was terrified because he realized I had a gun and he thought I was going to shoot him, which I wasn't, but he didn't know that. So I'm looking at him. He's about 60 feet away and uh, he takes off running. And uh, I'm sitting there like, what, what is it? What is he doing out here in the middle of the desert? I mean, I can't figure any of the South. So I take off running, but he's already way ahead of me somewhere in the bush. And I, I run it and finally I realized his footprints stopped and it never occurred to me at, at all. Cause I, back then nobody knew he got beamed out upward, so to speak. Therefore his footprints stopped. So I got to thinking to myself, you know, you've got to, you have to ask yourself these big questions whether you want to or not. Did you hallucinate that? Did you make that up? Is that a dream? Are you, is you know I've never drank I don't take drugs never done any of that in my whole life, so. Uh, but I still have to ask myself, you know, could I've made could I've dreamed that, you know? But I'm I'm not asleep, I'm standing there with my rifle, and um, so I go back and retrace my steps, and I convince myself that in fact it wasn't a dream it was real the whole thing was absolutely real. What convinced me of that more than anything? It was a double set of footprints in the middle of the desert next to mine. The footprints were very small, and it was it was his footprints.
0: So, one thing that has occurred to me is I, that this manipulation that they're doing could be just a protective thing. Um, they may be afraid because they have been shot. They have been taken supposedly they've been taken by the government several times um they've been injured um you know the, the case in brazil the big case in i'm going to say it wrong virginia, virginia. you know, yes they've,
1: 1996
0: they've, yeah there was injuries and shooting and so forth going on so one had a leg injury and somehow ended up dead. Like that. Like how did it go from like an injured leg to dead? So that something bad happened, obviously. So they they may just be very vulnerable when they're not in the the craft. So I think that could be why we get this manipulation, why we get paralyzed, why we're not allowed to function at our full ability. Because I think they're scared of us.
1: Well, that that makes sense from a human point of view. However, in my experience, whenever I was in my abduction experiences, when I flip myself back on after they turned me off, uh, remarkably, I get to overhear some things, things they don't want you to hear. You get to hear them think and what they're thinking about, what they're going to do. And the most amazing thing to me was that uh, I realized after, like the time I got paralyzed, and uh, the fear came over me like I, I'd never known anything like it. At age four years old, there are not a lot of things out there that you have abject horror over. I mean, it just, you're so young, you don't have those type experiences. You, you didn't go through the Holocaust or something. Uh, so what I found after, again, working thousands of these cases Realize that the alien is using that fear. He's transferring his fear to you. And that it's a fear you've never understood, never had before. And the reason is because it isn't yours. It, It it's it's his. And of course, then the question comes up is what fear is that? And it's a fear that they live in a society that's not anything like we can imagine. They live in a society that's so structured and so uh, imagine a a beehive. If a bee came in and didn't do bee things, all of a sudden the bee came in with independent thinking, thought, hmm, I think I'll just sit out here and smoke a cigarette besides make honey. All the bees will attack you and kill you. They will because you you are an infestation. You are a danger to the entire hive. They think your thinking is an infestation. They don't want your thinking. They don't want you doing anything. That they fear is just one of the techniques they use to create a paralysis or to create uh, uh, make you want to black out, make you want to not remember, and things like that. But the fear is a process that's used by the, those that are above them to keep them in line. They live in a society that's not like ours at all. It is, in my opinion. Uh, an incorrect view to apply to them human standards as if they function that way because they don't. They, They just don't.
0: Well, I think that's an interesting idea because if they're using something like technology to control us, it's not very difficult if you are just a more advanced species to quickly understand how electromagnetic pinpointing could impact a human brain right and then it would only take one more step to realize if i do this they're going to feel fear if i do this they're going to feel euphoric you know so it's an interesting thing to me that they might be going that path of using that as control
1: well one of the things we did and uh, like i said i've done thousands of these uh, interviews and and uh, memory recovery and all kinds of other techniques and to find, because I want to know exactly what's going on. I, I don't, I don't care about my theories. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is what what actually is true. And what, what's what's uh, most reasonable. What's uh, what's replicable, so to speak, and possible. And what I found was um, that uh, these uh, and Bud Hopkins and I was having this discussion in Marseille, France. So this was really interesting. He said, uh, he was a little miffed with me. He says, well, he said, "Uh, I got to take issue with you. He said, you you said these aliens were stupid. I said, I never said anything like that, bud. I said, if you're going to quote somebody, you need to ask them what they said. He said, okay, what did you say? I said, the small gray has an IQ of approximately 80. That's equivalent to a moron. They're made, hatched, cloned, and manufactured for the purpose. Of doing specific jobs. They're not made higher than that because they're not, they're not needed for anything other than what they're programmed for. That it's that simple. And he said, Well, did you give any of them an intelligence test? I said, Let me ask you a question, bud. Have you ever met any smart people in your life? He said, Yeah. I said, You ever met any stupid people in your life? He said, Sure have. I said, did you give them an intelligence test? I said, Bud, you're not an abductee. You don't know anything about abduction other than what people told you. You hope everything they said is true, but you don't know yourself. In a court of law, you could not be used as a witness because you weren't there. It didn't happen to you. I said, I am, and I have, and I know what I'm talking about. I'm telling you his IQ is about 80. I said, the mantis being's got an IQ of about 170 to 180. It's remarkable. And and so on. Each one of them have different IQs. They're made, hatched, cloned, and manufactured for specific jobs and purposes. That has nothing to do with "quote unquote" being an alien from another planet.
0: Yep. Yeah. So, do you think there is one? I don't. I don't know. I want to say source for these creations. One particular source that creates all of this, that sits back and lets this happen.
1: Well, I think they're directed. Uh, my, my my best answer for that is, uh, when people get to this stage of thinking uh, bigger than the alien, so to speak, or out of the box, the alien box, uh, you you come up with uh, at least two different two different theories. Uh, one of them is the uh, 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 Sitchin theory, which is uh, these are they that came down from the heavens and. Uh, and they were worshipped as gods, and so on and so on. I said that is um, it, it's an interesting viewpoint. It, it just it's got some serious flaws with it, but it but it has some merit. The merit is they came down from the heavens. That that part is correct. If you study the the ancient text, uh, the Warkins, the Sumerian, the ancient Hebrew, the Bible, and, and other things like this, you see that there is a higher being status above the alien alien is the the aliens are pawns in effect that something else is higher. And in my view, looking at, and I have looked at, I've gone to India, I've studied that, I've, I've studied the Mideast and all these different theories. And the thing that makes more sense than anything to me is that you have two groups of beings out there that are, have a distinct interest in this planet. And one of them is the uh, and, and angelic realm, which uh, Sitchin talks about, uh, and also the ancient Bible and, and ancient other uh, scriptures talk about, but they also talk about another group, uh, another group that is, one uh, would refer to as the fallen ones. Uh, these beings are extremely powerful, very effective and uh, remarkable skills. And they could easily, I guarantee you, manipulate and make, create, a hatch, clone, or manufacturer an alien being easily. In fact, if you study ancient, uh, uh, some ancient documents, uh, you can see this, the transgenic created beings, uh, even in stone, you see uh, Inky and Lee in the in the story of uh, Sumer. Uh, uh, Inky is standing there, he's, all these human beings are about that tall, so to speak. Inky is about Fifteen feet tall, and he's got a lion under his arm like a kitten. And he said, "Well, that's a metaphor." Well, what if it's not? What if he really was a giant? What if, what if that that story is consistent? And uh, anyway, it's a fascinating viewpoint. But there are two primary points of that, and those are the two stories.
0: You know, it's interesting. Is as, uh, as you see a lot of parallels with a lot of these religions, not only the idea of this these gods that come to mess with humans, but the punishment as a result of doing that. You know, it goes through many, many different stories from Native American to the Bible, you know, to myths, and they just have different terms for whoever gets punished, but it's their interaction with humans and what they've done with humans that gets them in trouble, and that's how they get to be fallen. Like the just, you know the angels that mated with humans, mm-hmm. Prometheus giving us fire, um, Satan give us giving us intelligence. You know,
1: <laughs> the fascinating thing to me is, uh, and I tell people this over and over, it's, it's because I said I've you now worked thousands and thousands of these cases, been all over the world numerous times. And I said, the uh, I said, uh, especially at conferences, I'll, I'll ask a lot of questions, and uh, and then what it what the my questions end up telling a lot of people is one. Of the, well, let me give you just several of them. One of the questions is, how many of you have seen a UFO? A lot of hands. Would go up. how many of you uh, saw the inside of UFO? Less hands will show up. And then, how many of you people came back with something like an imp? less hands will go up. And so on and so on. And finally, I'll ask several big questions. How many of you feel absolutely no, regardless of the fact you were raised, loved, cared for by your family, they loved and cared for you all your life. They're not really your family. And you will be shocked at how many hands go right straight up. And I said, now, next question, how many of you uh, no, beyond any shot of a doubt. Again, doesn't matter how well you're raised, how well you're taken care of, what you're educated, doesn't matter that you're all alone. You're not lonely. You're all alone. And those are not your parents. And I said, this is called programming.
0: Great.
1: And I said, what you have to understand from my point of my perspective, these beings are hats, cloned, made, manufactured for the purpose of causing these effects on you. And if, if, if it's true, quote-unquote, what the scientists are telling us, you're not much harder than pond scum. If that's true, why did somebody come a long, long, long way to get what you have? Mm. There's nothing like you in the entire universe. You are unique, and somebody's here to collect.
0: Yeah. So I, I've heard this theory before that they're like, envious of the soul essentially and what's interesting about that is in some writings people say the angels were jealous of humans they were they were here before humans then god wanted to make something different and then the angels became jealous and it's one of the reasons they started to interfere with humanity they were jealous of this creation oh it and makes
1: sense it really does mm-hmm. it, it, it if you follow that viewpoint, it, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense. But the, the, the problem was when angelics interfere with mankind directly, it gets them in trouble uh, in, from a biblical point of view. A bunch of them got thrown in jail, so to speak, down in a place mm-hmm. called Tartarus for their involvement. So it's better to use a, uh, a dissociative method like creating, hatch, cloning or manufacturing alien beings to interact with mankind to get done what you want to do. Mm
0: -hmm. What do you think of the simulation hypothesis that perhaps um, our true being is something a little bit more complicated than what we experience in this biological avatar during this short, brief period of life?
1: Well, uh, if you, again, if you want to bring the scripture into this, uh, the scripture, uh, very clear it says you see you're seated at the right hand of majesty that means you have another consciousness that's connected to you that is uh you you're living out a, a life experience here of, for some particular reason and mm-hmm. uh, to me i ask people this question all the time i said i'll ask them things like uh, do, do you know who you are and usually a, a nurse will say well i'm a nurse i said no ma'am that's what you do. That's not who you are. Well, I'm Mary Williams. Uh, no, that's your name. That's not who you are. And then after about ten of these answers, they realize they don't know who they are. And that's a big problem. And the second thing, if I said, it's important to me. You need to find out who you are. Number two, you need to find out why you're here. That would. Those are kind of two big things. I they're kind of important to me. I, I may not mean anything to anybody else, but <laughs> i would be nice to know who you are and why are you here. That Those are really <laughs> kind of seminal yeah. things in my viewpoint.
0: <laughs> I, I feel like everyone who starts to really study this topic ends up at some point studying near-death experiences. And they start trying to understand that connection to the life that we're having. Because it's, I don't know what it is about this topic but immediately you start to realize you know we're not just these bodies something else is much more complicated in the world that's happening in the universe that's happening that might even expand beyond what we can perceive so i don't know if that's happened to you yet but it sounds like it has the the whole study of ndes
1: well uh, ndes is uh is a near-death experience and uh... And, uh, and there's, if you study it from Kubra Ross to uh, other, other people, there's a, there's a, uh, a remarkable book also written, it's called To Helen Back, uh, written by a cardiovascular surgeon. And he says, there's a difference between when you think you were dead or you act, or you were dead in your opinion. He said, when I pronounce you dead, they bury you. Mm -hmm. that's the difference he said it when i say you're dead that's it it's over and uh, anyway he goes through he so he has a a, a, and and of course uh, what i want to know from him and and he he related this in his book he said a lot of people have had negative experiences in these near-death experiences Mm -hmm. and he said uh i submitted my information to dr kuba ross and her team and they Mm -hmm. said they didn't want it and he said why not and they said, well, because it's negative and we don't want people to know that there are negative experiences out there. He said, it doesn't matter. It's whatever it is. That's what it is. It's uh, why would you why would you call it? You're you're doing this scientifically when you're excluding half the information. So uh, yeah. anyway, that was uh, I like the whole story. I, want, I don't want a slice of the pie. I want the whole pie.
0: Oh, I think, I, yeah, I, I think that's part I, of the I, pie. I,
1: you order me, when I order pizza, I don't want a slice of it coming to my house. I want the mm-hmm. whole thing. I mean, I, I want the whole I I just think that people ought to be informed. I don't care whether it's good, bad, or whatever. It's just information. And then you make a decision on it.
0: It's so funny you should say that. Um, I do think, by the way, that NDEs is part of this, the, the phenomenon in pie, by the way, also. Mm-hmm. But I was going to say the same thing happened apparently with UFO cases in Blue Book. Apparently, and I was just reading RuPaul's, like last weekend, um, he was talking about how they just tossed aside any story that involved a non-human intelligence. Anytime someone talked about having an encounter, they would just throw those stories out. And they just probably threw out who knows how many of those stories out. And uh, Keel made the point that, Really, people should have been paying more attention to the unusual stories. You know, it's not very helpful to just keep hearing over and over. I saw a UFO. I saw a light in the sky. Well, so what? But the the other details that come with that are what's important to learning something more about what's going on. So it's unfortunate so much has just been tossed by people because they didn't want to pay attention to it.
1: To underscore what you're saying, I was on Art Bell one night uh, before he passed away years ago, and they had a pilot on, he was, a, now he's a general, but then he was uh, an officer in the Iranian Air Force when the Shah was in, in, in command, and anyway, all these UFO people are asking him these questions, in which finally Art said, Daryl, would you want to jump in here and ask, a, ask one of your questions? And I said, I do. And, uh, I mean, they were asking stupid stuff like, what was it like to see a UFO flying around out there? Were you scared or whatever, you know? So finally, I I looked at him. I said, uh, General, thank you for your service and for all that you've done. Uh, I said, I want to ask you a very pointed question. At any time during your flight in your encounters with UFOs, did you ever experience missing time? And everybody in there just laughed their heads off. Like, what a stupid question. The only two people weren't laughing were me and the general. And then he finally spoke and said, yes. And I said, you're not the only case we have of pilots who experience missing time while in flight, and the reason people don't know this stuff is because they simply don't do good investigative work, and uh, if, if you can't just assume, if, if people have had encounters with UFOs, things are going to happen, I guarantee you they are, uh, case in point, the, uh, there is a, a huge study going on right now at Stanford University. The CIA and their doctors have examined a lot of these pilots and ground crew that have experienced uh, these, the tic-tacs and the so-called UFOs over the ships and things like that and, and, and UFOs in flight. Well, the problem is these pilots and some of the ground crew are coming up with white lesions in their brains. Now, the MRIs are showing these white lesions. Those are dead spots in the brain. Something is affecting them in flight or on okay. the ground.
0: I think they were calling that interference syndrome, if I remember correctly.
1: Yeah, but I, I, if I'm one of the pilots, I, I'm going to be rethinking my position very quickly here.
0: How mm-hmm. many
1: more flights can I do before I start losing cognitive functions and are no longer able to fly or work?
0: hmm and I think the fear of not being able to fly is one of the things that has hindered a lot of work with this. A lot of people didn't want to report because they knew they'd be, you know, taken off of the roster.
1: Well, sure. But, but the problem now here is that they're looking at MRIs of these pilots and these ground crew people and realizing something is affecting them neurologically in their brain and is killing off certain brain cells. And brain cell functions inside the skull
0: mm-hmm. while
1: they're flying, or while they're while they're on that craft uh, down there on the boat, so to speak.
0: I know, but I'm just thinking from the perspective of a working pilot. If they heard that, and they, you know, realized that reporting might meant they would have to go get an MRI, they might be less inclined to do so. I
1: would rather get the MRI now and find out that something has been messing with my brain than to find it out later that, that a large portion of my brain has been damaged. Not only can I not fly, but in the case of one pilot that I worked with uh, in L.A., in Los Angeles, uh, he was in South America at the time. He had several encounters with UFOs in flight, and uh, shortly, uh, 20 years prior to that, in one of his encounters, they did something uh, he felt like inside his brain near his optic nerve. Later, he uh, started losing his eyesight. And uh, literally, uh, I talked to him. And I said He said, I'm legally blind right now. Hmm. And uh, he said, uh, I said, well, more than that's happened. I said, tell me about your life. He said, I, I left a perfectly good job. I left a good paying job. I left everything I had. I left my family, left everything. And I said, and then you came to L.A. to do what? To go blind? Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't know why I did all that. He said, anyway, they, he said, I've got a tumor inside my head. It's pressing against the uh, optic nerve. And I said, and when did that happen? He said, oh, my God, that happened during the UFO event. Mm -hmm. So here's an actual story. 30 years ago of a pilot having these kind of problems uh, neurologically and optically describing this. I mean, it's amazing to me that the CIA is only now beginning to start checking them. I guarantee they've already checked the MRIs. Mm -hmm. They know there's a problem. That's the reason they sent them to the top uh, MRI specialists at Stanford University.
0: I do know Harvard is doing a study with experiencers also. I don't think they're necessarily doing exactly the same things, and I don't know all the details, but I think they're looking at some of the um, radiation effects also now. And maybe they're working with Stanford. I'm not exactly sure. Um, But I, I hope that they get some more of this information out there. It's one of the reasons that I'm doing the UAPMC, so doctors and therapists are aware that treatment is needed and don't just disregard the story um, because they may not believe in it. You know, I just, there's there's a lot of issues going on.
1: Certainly, no question about it. All
0: right, so I wanted to ask you some of the questions that people presented um, that Steph sent out to me, um, Steph from UAP Experiencers. Um, she said um, a few, that of course, like she wanted to be here today, but she was unable to be because she does not feel well. Um, she had some listeners give some questions. Um, one of the questions was that you presented from this is from listener Michael. She said from Michael, you presented a watch that melted from the inside out that an alien abductee gave you on a TV show once with evidence of glowing handprints. Can you tell us more about that person's experience?
1: Uh, The the person's experience was, in fact, the DA of a city uh, back east. And he was outside uh, one evening, and he looked up and saw a triangular craft. He was amazed. He told his wife, come out, look at it. She looks at it. He said, let's get in the car and follow that thing. She said, are you nuts? And anyway, she got in the car and unfortunately went with him. He followed the object around for a while. The next thing they know, it's about 2.30 uh, in the morning. And uh, he calls, uh, he calls the, he thinks, and of course, of missing time here. You got to realize it's middle of winter. It's very cold. Their windows are down and they're sitting in their car and they're not even cold. What does that mean? That means you weren't in the car. Period. You were probably in a crap somewhere. Placed back in the car. Now that you realize it, you're calling the. Uh, the he said uh, he called the record, and the record guy came, and he said, "Oh, he said, uh, uh, boy, you got here past." He said, "Got here past." He said, "You called over two hours ago." So the car wasn't working. That's when they called. They were apparently abducted, put back in the car. The record guy drives up just as they were put back in the car. <laughs> Coincidence, huh? And then his wife says the next morning, oh, honey, your, wa- your watch has stopped. Why don't you go take it to the watch shop and get it fixed? And he says, oh, okay. So he goes down to the watch shop, turns it into the guy, and the guy opens it up and says, well, the reason your wa- watch is not working is because it's melted from the inside. The entire mechanism is fused together and so anyway they gave me this watch uh, to study and to analyze and uh the amazing thing to me is that the da wrote a whole story about the event and uh and the watch and his abduction encounter and uh published it and uh, of course this is not the way to win an election if you want to be the da next year but um he was very honest, very truthful about it. And I just admire someone that does that.
0: I do too. I think it's unfortunate how many times that hasn't worked out. I remember that politician who I believe <coughs> wanted to run for president. And he admitted that when he was visiting with Shirley MacLaine, <coughs> he, um he was looking in the sky, saw an object he could not identify. That was all he said. And people blew up like you know and then you know both carter and someone i think that was the same guy he was debating they were both they both saw ufos so you know like there's just so many things that get stigmatized it's unfortunate i'm really glad we're moving away from that Um,
1: ron reagan and his wife and uh, some of his party were in a car when he was governor traveling toward a party they're going to a party to a meeting and they saw a UFO who had a couple hours of missing time, show up at the party and tell everybody about the missing time and <clears throat> that they saw this UFO and it was really amazing and all that. They don't even know whether they may have been abducted. No one knows, but mm-hmm. they sit there and told everybody at the party what happened.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think he saw a second um, UFO later on a different occasion. So it's interesting. I actually, um, I've seen one, um, but my reaction was just to go, eh, (laughs) like, which is considered unusual. Um, And I told another experiencer that, and he said, if you're reacting that way, it's probably because you've seen them before. Which leads me to another one of the questions that we have, which I feel like um, I am kind of familiar with. It's basically asking you know why is it you know some people don't remember their experience why is it completely hidden um why is it that sometimes something triggers it years later um without hypnosis and and then it comes back like a rush and i feel like i know this answer but i thought i'd let you (laughs) answer anyway sure uh
1: a friend of mine my senior investigator is a Uh, brought a friend of his who's in the engineering department to a conference I was speaking at. And she said, "Uh, Mr. Sims, I've filled out your form. And out of the 36 things that could happen to abductees, I fit 34 of them. And I said, "Okay." She said, I think it's a bunch of crap. I said, "Okay." She said, that doesn't bother you? I said, not in the least. Why not? Well, I said, because uh, if you're an abductee, I can't make you not one. If you aren't one, I can't make you one. It's that simple. And I, 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 I don't have the ability to make anybody anything. Two years later, she meets me down in uh, uh, Arizona and in Phoenix. She <clears throat> said, Mr. Sampson, this has been bothering me for two years. I want to, I have to know. Should I don't think anything happened but I know you've got memory recovery techniques that are excellent uh, and uh, thousands of people swear by you. Uh, would you work with me? I said, certainly. I said, nothing's there, nothing's there. If there is, it is, it's, it's, I can't make you yay or nay. Right off the bat, uh, uh, we went through some, some of her memories, just regular memories as a child. And just quite normal life, and then all of a sudden, I popped her into uh, an event that uh, she did not want to talk about. And at age five, she walks inside a UFO with aliens holding onto her hand. And as they go inside the UFO, on the right-hand side, there's an open doorway, and there's a cow in there being mutilated alive, while the grades are carving on it. It's still alive. <clears throat> then they walk on for anyway after about two hours work with her uh if I finally have her open her eyes and she's she's crying and she says I'm an engineer this can't be happening this is I said it's not normal It none of it makes any sense I get that I totally understand she said but why did I not know I said you're not supposed to remember some of us accept orders better than others and uh I said, I'm not one of them, but you are. And uh, anyway, we went back and we finished up her case. And it was years of experiences that she had that she did not know. And I mean, it was just absolutely gut-wrenching to watch her. And, uh, and of course, my, my, my senior investigator was sitting a big smile on his face because he knew this all along. I mean, you don't have 34 of these key markers in your life out of 36 and uh nothing happened that just ain't true
0: where can we get this list i want to see this list
1: i'm sorry that's it's it's not available i'm kidding i'm kidding i want i want the list (laughs) just just email email me and i'll be glad to send you some fun stuff okay great it's all free
0: yeah just an fyi for those who are not uh you know, psychic, and are not aware of this. all sent me a whole bunch of information about injuries and medical issues, and etc. and so forth um, from his physical evidence work, which I really appreciated. So, thank you for that, by the way. But yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I have questions for myself, of course, and I think a lot of other people who are drawn to this topic do. Like, I have just some really unusual things happen when I was a kid, and. I can't find anything really solid on why. Like one of the things is I I would sleepwalk. Yes. And of course I had nosebleeds and I had vivid flying dreams. And one time I was sleepwalking to the point where I jumped off stairs because I thought I could fly. Yes. That's not very normal. (laughs) That's
1: (laughs) That's not normal at all.
0: So I'm so curious, but I also think because of what I do for a living, Um, with mental health that the brain is blocking some of that for a reason and i don't feel like that that desperate need to unleash anything um you know what i mean like like my response to seeing objects in the sky that i could not identify was just eh. like i don't have fear i don't I i don't have the overly excited feeling some people have there's something different going on for me with that and i feel like i'm not supposed to push it and not supposed to <laughs>
1: poke that. <laughs> I have no problem with that. I, I think yeah. that I tell people this from, especially at conferences. Uh, one guy is a good example. He said, I, I've got to know. And, uh, and he told me about his experience, what little he didn't remember. And he said, my mother uh, was present. And I said, uh, are you comfortable with not knowing? He's no, I've got to know. I said, well, I do too. But, uh, my best advice to you is if you can leave Pandora in the box, leave her in there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't open it. And he said, uh, well, I've got to know. And I said, well, then go ask your mother.
0: He mm-hmm. did.
1: And she says, of course it was all true, son. I didn't want to tell you, but they always brought you back.
0: Mm-hmm. Said, oh, my God, what am I going to
1: do now? And I said, I told you not to open the box.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now you're going to have to live with it. And Yeah. Uh, there, remember I told you there are three kinds of people, the abductees, contactees, those who liked it, those who didn't. And then there are those who don't simply know what happened. Mm-hmm. And they don't know they've been abducted. They have no clue. And I'm uh, dead serious about that. And there there may be a bunch of them. There are some for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. And apparently, uh, according to that, um, I think it was Roper, Roper poll, that bigelow um paid for and bud hopkins and and john mack were involved in writing the pamphlet for um they said it was like one in five people which seemed really astronomical a lot of people argue the math on that poll but they did the poll in like the 90s by the way um and they had a fairly small sample size for that poll but The point is, they said it was about one in five people probably were or had some kind of experience without realizing it.
1: The point is that it's an astronomical amount of people, regardless of whether it's 20 percent of the population or 5 percent or 3 percent or 2 percent. That's an astronomical number. And for that to be happening to that many people, uh, it, uh, it doesn't show any kind of psychopathology that's systemic with a population of people that are perfectly normal.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's there's some really interesting mass sightings which cause me to really wonder what is going on. Um, here are some examples: the Fatima experience, despite the fact that numerous people brought video cameras and, um, you know, filmed. For some reason, no one has footage of that now, and I don't know if that was a cover-up thing or people just didn't end up actually filming. People are willing to say they saw what happened, but there's like n- no footage. And then a lot of people um, in the Phoenix Lights incident, they they saw you know two incidents were happening with that. At one point, there was a craft that was moving around Phoenix, Arizona. Many people saw, and then somewhat later the government dropped flares from the sky and then you know the, the timing was off but it seems like kind of a cover up kind of situation there to was me cover-up. yeah yes. so but but there's very few um people coming forward with footage from that you know there's a lot of people who saw that like a thousand people at least well, so i got a fun,
1: I got a fun story to tell you about that. I know mm-hmm. Dr. Lynn Katai. Uh, she was a a perfect eyewitness because she lives in a home that's on the side of a cliff, so to speak, with big big glass windows. And I was up here interviewing her uh, shortly after the Phoenix Lights. <clears throat> and she was telling me in a great degree what was going on. And uh, I wrote her the other day and I told her about I said, you know, the uh, people are still arguing about the Phoenix Lights, this, that, or whatever. And I said, there's no question it was real. And I said, Do, I said there was a an airline, there was a pilot, in a small aircraft, private aircraft, flying up near the Phoenix Lights. And she said, Yeah, we heard about that. And I said, Well, I know who the pilot was. And she said, Who was it? And I said, It was the actor that played in Escape New York. And she said, "You're kidding." I said, "In fact, my uh, one of my abductees was his flight instructor." And she said, "You're kidding," and I said, "That's anyway. That's the story on it." And I said, I "Also had uh, a DSP satellite specialist tell me where the Phoenix light, what direction they came from, because DSP satellites were watching it. So it's that, a matter of record now."
0: And I will tell you, it's fascinating. Because he's the perfect example of how memory gets messed with. Because he did not remember that he saw it and he reported it for years. Until he was watching TV and someone talked about it. And he went, oh yeah, that was me. I saw that. I reported it. And why didn't I remember that for years? He's not
1: supposed to remember.
0: Right. He couldn't remember. And then, you know, one of the really interesting mass sightings was in China, um, and it was their first public um, sighting that they reported, um, and because China has a massive amount of people in it, supposedly a million people saw what they described as a spiral in the sky. Now, whether or not that was an actual UFO or not, I don't know, but what I find really interesting is for a million people to not have taken a photograph
1: <laughs> like well back in the uh, <laughs> when a lot of this stuff was shown and uh, there in fact there are many abductees who have a camera and will not take a picture and uh, i have uh let me give you an example uh i was in a, a, a speaking to a, a voice in dallas texas speaking at a, a, a friend of mine, a therapist, her abductees were having a, a meeting and she wanted me to come speak to him. And as I did, and we were talking, uh, one of my abductees, uh, unbeknownst to uh, everybody in the group, knocked on the door, came in and walked over to me and handed me two color photographs. And I looked at her and I smiled and said, she's a surgical nurse. And I said, uh... Oh my gosh. And I looked at him. I realized there's two aliens in those color photographs. This was when there, there was no Photoshopping. This is back in the 1990s. And these are color photographs. Uh, and anyway, it's, it's, it's incredible. So, <laughs> so I looked at her and smiled and I said, I didn't get you anything for Christmas at all this year. And she laughed and then she laughed. Said, those are yours. And uh, yeah. anyway, uh, Back to the Phoenix Lights, real quick. Uh, somebody was talking to me at a conference recently uh, up in Dayton, Ohio, and then they were asking the question. Said, "Did you see those triangular-shaped craft that are above the uh, the aircraft carriers on the on the film?" I said, uh, "Yeah." I said, "That's I said that footage is four years old at least." I said, "You know, they're having three and four of these a, a day on both east and west coast." Mm -hmm. You realize how often this is occurring? I said, for them to show a grainy, old starlight. I said, you actually believe we don't have any better film than that? Let Mm -hmm. me give you a hint. I said, they can read your watch if your hand is steady at 2,400 miles up. That's not even classified. Yeah. I said, we have our own footage of something that looks just like the Phoenix lights at Mm -hmm. 80,000 feet up in detail, great detail. And Mm -hmm. I said, my point is if we can do that with our stuff, what do you think they have?
0: Yeah. Oh, it's, it's no secret that the government was not only observing things, um, it's it was been it's been talked about publicly at this point, but they had satellites that were very capable of really analyzing things in close detail. Um, something that comes to mind is like you know an example of this is John Ramirez came out um, and spoke about the working group the CIA had on orbs because the satellites kept picking up all these orbs, and he was public and speaking about that. So obviously, (laughs) if anyone has read the FOIAs, we've been looking at these things for a long time and really seeing them. So of course, we're going to have better footage. But what gets me, though, is that in the public, for whatever reason, something just stops us for the most part um, from doing that. Like people talk about actually being told, put your camera away. Don't bring your camera out like getting the sense that they can't do it or forgetting completely to bring their camera out, even if they're holding it in their hand. So there's something a little fishy going on with this. And, and what's also interesting is that this, apparently the same thing happens with Bigfoot.
1: That is true. Uh, I, I told uh, D- Dr. Melvin Kepson's people, that I said, I'm not a Bigfoot investigator. I said, but just because I'm not a Bigfoot investigator doesn't mean I don't have any evidence. I have, I have hair samples from back to the 1980s. I said, I've got a fingernail and a urine sample from a, apparently an adolescent. I said, so uh, it's not my forte, but it, I'm an alien hunter. This is what I do. Evidence mm-hmm. is what I do. Mm-hmm. And finding it is it's, it's Reason Bigelow and others like that are interested in what I do because they're looking for evidence. They want it. They want it. I
0: was just talking about Bigelow yesterday, or, or not yesterday, the day before. I think it was. We were talking about how he seems to be a gatekeeper, and not wanting to let people know what's going on.
1: Well, when you're part of the intelligence community or part of the program that is part of that community, uh, there are a lot of things you can't talk about. And I know, I know, B- Bigelow and Robert uh, and. I've, I've, Uh, I like him. Uh, He's funded some of my work. Uh, I, uh, again, parted company because I I told him, I said, he said, you should be funded full time. And I said, I agree with that. I said, but the only difference between me and you is, you know, several billion dollars. That's what I mean by that is you run your own show. And so do I. And you won't be running mine yeah I mean, that's I, the way it is
0: i could do a whole nother show on what's going on with robert bigelow but i'm gonna abstain to the, and for the sake of time at the moment <laughs> but um i wanted to get this one final question in from um steph who was collecting these questions she said from listener a g i saw you at the roswell festival in 2021 and you stated you have a piece of an alien spaceship and you showed it to the audience. I've always wondered about the origin of that specimen. I think the question is, where did that piece come from?
1: We, I have three pieces of material that was expelled by a UFO. That's one of them. That one came to me from a military uh, individual out of California. He sent it to me, and uh, he gave me a third of it. I sent the rest of it back to him, and uh, we're currently examining it now. But the reason that it interested me is because it was identical in looks to the other two pieces I have of 30 and 60 years before. That being said, those two have been studied and are extraterrestrial in origin. Wow. What if this is the same thing? The nice thing about having the previous tests is now I know what to look for and what not to look for. So that particular medal, the reason it interested me wasn't because he claimed it came from a UFO or it fell out of a UFO or expelled. That is interesting, but that's just a story for me. What what brought it more to uh, evidence to that level was he had a picture of the UFO. He had a film of the UFO. Mm-hmm. And he's got missing time. So I suspect during the course of that UFO event, he had missing time. Maybe even his dog got taken. And then he goes back to the UFO after he runs away, he gets scared, comes back, and he finds this piece of metal under where the UFO was. So that's where he got it from. So I'm going to be real excited to see if it matches the other two pieces of uh, UFO material.
0: I just have to comment i am a dog lover and i have repeatedly heard that these don these visitors whatever nhi whatever you want to call them become really fascinated by dogs and i think they're fascinated by their obedience and loyalty to us and many times uh, people have reported that they try to take the dog or ask if they can have the dog what is that about
1: well i don't know i i, I have uh, cases involving animals everything from mutilated cows mutilated horses uh, mutilated animals of all kinds mutilated humans and uh, but i have uh, two cases of dogs that are interest that might be interesting to your story one of them comes out of australia and apparently the guy's little boy was taken and the the dog little dog witnessed the abduction because every time they open the window on the on the little boy's room, the dog immediately jumps off the bed, hides under the the bed, and is crying and screaming and all that. Uh, and I have a video of the dog reacting like that. And it's, a, it's anyway. That's number one. Number two, one of my abductees was uh, getting uh, his wife was getting sexually assaulted. It's what it amounted to, and he got upset by it. And he wanted to defend himself and her. And uh, long story short, he had two huge Rottweilers. And when the aliens came in, <laughs> apparently the Rottweilers didn't know who they were and didn't like them and uh, bit them. And as a result, they at the end of the story, both he and his wife are back in their bed like nothing happened. Uh, and the two Rottweilers are back in their cages, which is weird because they weren't in the cages before. Now, the fascinating part of the story, he said, Daryl, my dogs are dying. He said, I took them to the vet. They can't eat. They cannot. The doctor said they cannot absor- absorb uh, protein whatsoever. So is that a result of them biting into the alien? I don't know. Uh, I, I just don't know. But I do know. I've got pictures of the dog before and after. And the dogs literally were went from giant these huge uh, pit bulls to uh, emaciated just skin and bones and died.
0: That's really sad. Yes. I don't know. But it seems like on some occasions they want to take these dogs as pets. So I don't know. Maybe that's just the experimental part the scientist part i don't know there's so much going on and i feel like you know we could talk about this for at least 10 more hours and still not have all the answers but i really appreciate that you came to talk to me today and that you are one of the people working so hard to figure it out and look at looking at the big picture looking for those patterns and um what's maybe happening i i guess i just want to I just have one final question from myself, which is what do you, what's your take on what's going on now with the NDAA, with the Aero office, with the government changing is, and shifting to the point where they temporarily had a UFO mm-hmm. logo in a military site, even though it got yoinked right away. What, what do you think is going out on now? Do you think the government is getting to the point where there's so many things happening and they finally have to talk? Or do you think they're just taking this more serious approach to get us further along with the conversation? Or do you think it's all a game? What do you think's happening?
1: Well, I used to be part of the uh, CIA long ago. I was, uh, <clears throat> I was in the spy community and was learning some of the tradecraft there myself that I wanted to. Um, <clears throat> uh, Nick Pope told me one night that we were at a conference together and they were asking the big question about disclosure. And he said, well, it's immediate. It's going to happen, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And I said, uh, that's not true at all. And, uh, he said, why do you say that? And I said, because, uh, because of where I was and what I did. And I said, and you should know that, but you don't. And I said that, that bothers me. My point is simply, I said, We have been waiting for your congressional investigation for 70 years. We had a great cover story for you back then. I mean, did you like the Roswell one? It was a weather balloon. A lot of people bought into it. After that, it was something else. And after that, it was something else. It doesn't matter. We're going to give you what you need. And you're going to like it for about 10 years. And after that, you can bring another congressional committee back. We'll give you a great story then, and then you can chew on that for a while. And The CIA put out a story. There is no such thing as UFOs. We don't study them. We've never studied them. Recently, they put out documents where they had over 10,000 reports. So they lied 10,000 times in a row. Does that give you a hint what our job is supposed to be? lying is what intelligence is about did we do a good job
0: yeah and what it boils down to is it started with you know we better tell the public this isn't real because they're overwhelming us with reports that was why they did it (laughs) and then you know some people say there's the other aspect of their covering it up because they just don't know enough. They don't have answers, so they have to cover it up.
1: Well, there are a lot of a lot of reasons of why, why they may be covering it up. They, they obviously have got some back-engineered stuff. They've obviously got some unbelievably good tech. They've got some very exotic metals and some very exotic things and toys mm-hmm. and, and some alien entities as well. Everybody knows that that's done the research. It's that simple. So um, the big question to me in closing is simply this. As far as I'm concerned, someone has come a long, long way out there, wherever that is, to get what you have. So they don't have it. And you do, and you're unique. There's nothing like you anywhere in the world, anywhere in the universe. And I don't care whether the, the – to me, we're missing the huge point that the scripture says something really interesting. It says, it says you were made, you were created wonderful. I think the only people that kind of don't get that is us. But the alien clearly understands that. That's why they're here.
0: Well, you know, the, we had the story of vampires and we had the story of Faye that kidnapped us and you know we've we've had the story of other entities trying to get something from us since the beginning of time so maybe we should start listening to some of those stories you know like humanity has that story for a reason so i don't know something to be thoughtful about but in the meantime before everyone goes off to go look up some of those stories Darrell, can you please tell everyone where they can find you if they would like to know more about Alien Hunter and the work that you do?
1: Sure, I'd be glad to. Uh, you can go to alienhunter.com, alienhunter.com, and uh, click on there or simply uh, click on the box there and it'll automatically send you to me uh, or you can simply go to darrellwsims at mac.com, dot com, and I'll send you information back. I don't charge anything for Information I send people and I actually answer every email, believe it or not, every one of them. If for any reason you write me and I don't answer you, send another one because I didn't get that one because if I get it, you will get an answer.
0: And thank you so much again for coming to speak to us today. Um, to everyone who listened, I really appreciate you coming and listening today. This was Deb from Deb's Atta Dojo. If you need to find me, I'm at Study of UAPs. I'm with Calling All Beings on YouTube, um, part of the ufoconnector.com and UAPMC. And you can find me at Study of UAPs on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, so forth. Everyone, please take care. And I will talk to you next time. Bye.